you know, to be honest, it's just an obedience. I never, I can't say, I remember I gave my desires to God. I had no, when I got saved, I really had no dreams anymore. I felt like I never have any dreams anymore. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. She is a minister. She is a Christian empowerment coach. She is a public speaker. She is a best-selling author, and she is an entrepreneur. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you this powerful woman of God standing or speaking in front of you, Crystal S. Day. Crystal is her name. And this is her revelation. I am from Kingston, Jamaica. I'm currently, as they are currently, I am a two times best selling author. I'm a Christian empowerment coach for life and business, and I basically help. Um, purpose-driven women and Christian entrepreneurs to increase their impact and income without compromising their Christian faith. So basically my mission is to just help persons to find that balance between building a successful business or even a ministry. Um, But mostly businesses are just using their passions, monetizing their passions without feeling like they have to to compromise their Christianity um, to fit in. And that's just the mission that I am on right now. Of course, you know, experiencing sexual abuse um, by a family friend, I would call it. And even with that, nobody knew because my peer, my father is very, very strict. And I knew if I told him that was happening, my father had probably got a prison, you know. You know, men are very protective of their daughters. So I never want my father to, to retaliate or to do anything to the person. So I kept it for many years. Um, and, of course, again, you there, there were these moments of total luck. I remember graduating from high school. Um, I was... I was I got in, in Jamaica, we have something called CXCs and I had gotten the highest in my, I, in my high school. And no, I was almost not going to be able to graduate because I hold so much school fee. And I remember just crying crazily because I mean, you work so hard, you're graduating, you're supposed to now graduate and you're unable to graduate. Why? Because you had no money. And that was some, that was really how tough it was sometimes. And uh, I give God thanks again because this is how, even though I wasn't a Christian, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and my mom always used to tell us to pray, um, to tell us to pray and tell me to pray. And I've always just had this sense of praying and negotiating. I, I thought I was mostly negotiating with God. You know, God, if you really let me graduate or you let me do this, then I will, you know, be a good person and, and stuff. And um, so I was able to leave high school. Um, went to college, got a college degree while I was working full-time, going to college part-time. I was just climbing up the corporate ladder. 
Um, I was very good at writing. I was, I wouldn't say I was good at speaking. I was good at speaking on my mind, but I was good at public speaking because I felt very insecure because of where I came from. Um, a lot of times I felt like people judge me because I was from the inner city area. Um, but you know, God again was just so, so faithful. And at 24 years of age, I was able to buy my first home. By now I had my first child and, you know, I was able to, I got a car. I mean, I was the first person in my family to, to actually travel overseas at 18 years of age because nobody in my family even had a passport. So I was the first person to do that. I was the first person to graduate with a college degree. I mean, you know, it, 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 looking back now, it's almost like God had, had always kind of placed me in a, a gave, it gave me such a vision for my life that now I'm able to know as a coach to able to let people to see that, you know, it really doesn't matter who, who, what's happening in your life or what has happened in your life. Mm. Just keep focus and allow the Lord to just lead you. And even if you're not a Christian, because his, his grace and his mercy is just so overwhelming that he will make you a success. He will make you achieve. I wouldn't say a success, but he will make you achieve things because of his grace. Mm. Yes. And we will definitely get into that aspect later. Uh, Totally will. Uh, I want to actually get back to when you were a child and you were in squalor, basically. Uh, You you said that you and your siblings decided to tap into, uh, I think what you call it, your, your futuristic um, thoughts and, and, and dreams and aspirations. Uh, what were they in particular? If you can go back and hammer down what they were. Um, all right. I think for me, I, I've always loved, I had this passion for people. I had this passion for, I don't know if it's, again, I don't, probably because I grew up in the inner city and my mommy would always say, you always see the best in everybody. And that's for me. I always like always just felt like we can either choose to stay here in the inner city, stay here under this um, you know, lack, or you can choose to have a better life. I've always just seen it as a choice. Um, I know that sometimes first and, and growing up, like nobody taught me that this was a choice, but I just knew that there was always more. Um, I just felt that there was always more. So my dreams and aspiration was always one. At one, I wanted to become a politician because in Jamaica, I just felt like the only way that I could go and help back these people that um, we it was through politics. Um, but outside, I mean, that's probably and become an entrepreneur. Always felt like I wanted to have my own business, and it always been something that me and my brothers and sisters talk about. We always wanted to have our own business. That's how we always want. We, we didn't know how to do it. But we just knew that, and and that's how daylight was birth because my last name is Day D A Y E, and we've all I don't know. We were just talking probably when we were so young. I was like, you know, we're gonna have a, a daylight pastry. We're gonna have a daylight store. We're gonna have everything was for us was daylight, and. 
but I must say that I changed. I wanted to become a lawyer. I wanted to become a pilot. I wanted to become, you know, mm-hmm. a chef. So based on my passions, every year I'll change my aspiration. But I think for the most part, I've always wanted to go into politics and always wanted to own my own business. Mm. Wow. Representative, Senator, or President Day. That would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have Prime Minister. We or do Prime have Minister. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Or Prime Minister Day. Uh, that would yeah. be interesting. Uh, you still have those, insp- uh, you sell those aspirations now or? Um, I don't know. It's funny because my father, um, he did representational, he loved politics and he always still sees me in that area. But I believe at this moment in time, I believe that the Lord has kind of showed me that, you know, I, with politics, what politics would have allowed me to do is help people physically, you know, and, and probably financially. But no, as a coach, as a minister, I'm now able to not, to, to, to help them to, to just kind of save their souls first, because that's the most important part. Uh, do I, would I go into representational politics? I probably, I would if it's God's will for me. Um, I don't think about it as much right now. Um, again, because I believe that the passion right now is not so much. I realize that I, another thing in Jamaican politics I must say is sometimes we are so focused on getting handouts. Our persons in the inner city are so focused on getting handouts. So instead of seeing themselves that I can do what Crystal has done and come out of the inner city, what they see is Crystal make it to Crystal Lee to come and help me. And I think um, being a coach or being a minister, I'm able to now go back and talk to young people to let them know that it's all a choice. Like I'm not very, I'm, I'm not special, <laughs> you know, I'm not special to buy a home. I'm not special to do all of these things. It's just a choice. So I believe me being a coach and a minister and a speaker has allowed me to do that without necessarily always providing a financial help. Mm. CEO of Daylight International, Crystal Days, joining us on Revelations. Uh, talk to me more about your parents and how they have shaped who the, who you are and the dynamic woman that you have become. <laughs> oh well, uh, it's funny because um, you know my my parents. I must say they have always. I I was almost like the the pre Madonna of the family. <laughs> Meaning, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I've, they have always just felt like I was a special child, and they they keep saying from as a child, my father and my mommy would always say, "You are such a special one." Like. My mommy was sharing with me recently that at four years of age, you know, she scolded me because um, she told me to clean up, you know, clean up the place. And at four years old, I told her, you know, when I, when I'm 18, I'm, you know, like I said to her, I'm going to, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go to high school. I'm going to go to a college and then I'm going to get a job and then I'm, I'm going to move out and I'm going to have a helper. <laughs> and she was laughing because she's like, you did it at such an early age, you know, like you've always been that person that if I say I'm going to get an A, I'm going to get an A. Like, and I don't know what, what for me, my parents did for me was believed in me. Mm. They, like there's nothing that I say that I would would I'm able to do or I will do, and they say you know, Crystal, I don't think you can accomplish that. Like at no point. And for me, that looking back now, that probably the biggest thing that I needed, mainly because I've always been a major big dreamer, 
Um, there was at no point. My father was very strict, though. Um, again, because I'm a girl and growing up in inner city, there were times where, uh, I mean, it don't happen as often right now, but there are times when in the dons in different communities was sent for girl children and have sex with them and you know things so my father was very protective he didn't want me to be exposed to things like that so growing up from i was probably like two or three years old i was i was just always he always buy books for me to read i'm just always studying i'm always studying. if you see me now on the road if you see me in a bank you see me a book with my hand because i've always just been an avid reader a study you know somebody a student and i believe that was because of my father um he had just drilled this value of education into me and even now it's just still a passion of mine so i think those definite things um I believe that they did their best financially. My mom was a security guard. My father was a carpenter. You know, he makes furniture. Uh, I, I think they did their best they could financially. And it really was just my, I just always felt that it was just my choice or my calling to help my family to get out of that life. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And, and it took a major dreamer to do that. That is awesome. That is awesome. And suddenly they're good people. I, I love that. I love that. Now, before I even get on to the college aspect of your life, you touched on something that I, that I, that I think I would love to address. Now you were from Jamaica and at least some of the perception of the Island is that it is highly sexualized. So if it's a myth, please destroy it. Or if it is true, please describe how it is and how, you were able to avoid that. All right. Let me confess first. I was not able to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm going to tell you straight. Mm-hmm. I was very sexually promiscuous. Um, despite me being very educated and highly educated, um, I did, that did not spear me from being um, sexually promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And one, I I would, I believe the myth is, it's not a myth because it is true. Jamaica is very, I, I don't think it's more highly sexual, perverted or sexual than in the U.S., I must say. Right. But for a small island, I do believe that our songs, the music, uh, most of the artists or most of the music that is is created is very highly sexual songs um even growing up and i i want to give you a big example i remember i, I could have danced very well now if you live in the inner city you can't dance it's weird <laughs> because that's that's what get up in quotation inner city people are known for we are good dancers you know right. and good um if, if most people know about marley about marley came from the inner city actually the community that i'm from near one of the community that i live in Arnett gardens bob marley lived on Trenchtown. it's probably like three to four minutes walk from where bob marley is and that's what our country is known for now the me as i said a lot of the music are very highly sexual content you know um the, the, the women we sing about the women they sing about you know um how to, to sexually please a man or how to take a man from his girlfriend or how do we share a man and you know and th- this is just the truth of our culture in Jamaica is a very highly sexual um country and 
I remember at, I think I was about five or six years of age. Again, I could dance. And I remember I was outside and I was dancing. I was dancing and uh, my father was out there and I could have danced well. And a man that was passing saw me dancing. He was driving, saw me dancing and he parked his car. Big man, I was probably about, I think I was about seven or eight, not five. I was about eight years of age. And the man literally sat in his car and watched me dance for over an hour. Mm. And I remember I went inside and my father said to me, you will never dance again. And I said, why? And he says, if a man, at, if you're eight years of age and a man can park his car for over a hour to watch you dance, no, you're not dance again. And literally I did not dance. Like I could not, my father, could, I couldn't make my father see me dance until probably I was probably like 18 or so. Mm. Because he was like, um, the fact is you learn, you learn to move your body in such a sexual way that it draws men in. It appeals to men. And we know that men are highly sexual. So there are things that you learn, certain dance moves that you learn that will lure man in. And, um, but despite how strict my father was, it didn't stop me from getting, um, to get in, getting involved at 16 years of age. No, my father never know all of these things, you know. Mm-hmm. But we as we as girls or we as teenagers, we know how to hide. So I got very good grades, you know. Right. So my parents, as long as I'm getting good grades, they weren't very strict. But they didn't know when I was going to the going to you know to the park or whatever to meet a guy. And so and again, I grew up with this notion. No, I didn't say I grew up, but I had this notion as long as I'm, I'm, I've achieved, I'm achieving all I need to achieve um, financially and um, educationally, then I can do whatever with men. So I'd had two, three boyfriends at one time, you know, and they didn't know about each other because this is the songs that we hear. I was very cultural. I was very, I would say I was culturally um, driven. So this is what we hear. This is what I did. And now I, when I became a Christian and just seeing and just hearing about sexual soul ties and, and these things, it was just mind-blowing for me. Because, and this is why I'm so passionate when I, I talk a lot about sexual purity and stuff to the girls that I meet because I know what culture in Jamaica teach us, teaches us to do otherwise. Mm. Yeah. I sort, of had a, I sort of had a feeling that had a that had a, a motivating factor in, in the testimony that you will be bringing forth later on this show. Uh, and, and I always wanted to ask a fellow Jamaican that just to make sure that, you know, make sure that I knew from a person who actually lives there, how that culture is. And, yeah. and, and, and I want to tell you, um, the average Jamaican would ad- admit it. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. We wouldn't. Yeah, we wouldn't admit it. But it's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, so how was, and you talked about uh, you being the first to get your college degree, how was uh, university life for you? Um, I, didn't, I didn't think I experienced university life. I went. I, I was working a full-time job Ooh. at 16 years of age. So I we had sixth form, and I, I did choose not to go back to sixth form. I went, and I, I got a job. I got my first job at 16 years of age at a bank. And it's funny because a bank should not hire a 16 years of age, a a young lady that's 16. But this is how I knew that I 
I was a big dreamer. I remember I went into that interview. I was qualified. I had the sexy subjects. And I remember the young the lady said to me, I never forget, she says, you are so young. You need to go to school full time. Why are you seeking a job? And I remember I told her, listen, I, am, I live in inner city. Right, and I am going to become a politician, and I'm go- at the time I wanted to become a pilot too. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to become a pilot and a politician, and I need a job to fund my university degree, right? And I, I worked there, and I was just there telling her all my dreams, and the lady said to me, "I know I'm not supposed to give you this job, but I believe in your dreams so much." I'm going to give you this job. And I got my first job at the bank at 16 years of age. So I, I've been working full-time. I went to school part-time. So I didn't have the university experience, to be honest. I, I never cared much about university. But I cared about getting that degree because that degree was my ticket out to, of the, the inner city. Hmm. Yeah. So it definitely shaped your entrepreneurial curiosity, it sounds like to me. And you and you <laughs> had that understanding even then. Wow. that yeah. That is... That that's that's remarkable. All right, so you you talked about how uh, the the life that you led uh, brought forth a, a blessing in a, a child. Uh, you also talked about how a lot of the things that you learned when you were younger uh, shaped you to the hunger that you have now for being a. Uh, being that agent for Christ. So now it leads me to the all important question that I always love to ask Christians. Uh, how did you, or when did you, or both, uh, submit your life to Christ? Ah, All right. Um, so as I mentioned that I was very promiscuous, right? So I reached this point, I re- I'd reached this point, and I spoke about it in my book, my first book, Living a Royal Reality. Um, I reached this point that I had two boyfriends, and then one of them found out about the other, and then it so happens that the both of them left me. So when the both of them left me, I was just so heartbroken. And that's a, that's a very mild way to put it. <laughs> and I remember I... Before that, um, I had an ex-boyfriend that had died. So we were very good friends. And he he was probably just a few years older than I am. And he went to visit a girl. And her boyfriend caught him and killed him. And I, when, he, when I realized, when he died, that was my first real experience of facing somebody very close to me. Um, I'd experienced death. And that made me went on this search for... Am I just living because, okay, I'm, I, you know, what am I living for? Because I wouldn't want to just die and not fulfill, not, not so much the dreams that I had, but more, am I going to die without an impact? And I remember I started to visit churches. And, but when that happened, I was visiting churches, but when that happened with the two guys, I knew I needed a savior. And that's when I started to visit church. I, I, I decided to get saved probably like a month after that I got baptized. And it never lasted very long. Um, I was still going to church, but I was living a double life um, because I couldn't give up. I couldn't see myself giving up my friends. I, I felt like, okay, God, you know, and I, I went back to, you know, having sex. But I only This time I was like, okay, I'm going to only the one person. So I won't have more than multiple partners anymore. I was just going to have one person. 
And then I got pregnant in church. And then when I got pregnant in church, um, I remember I went to my pastor and I told him, and, and they told me, one of the things that my church we had to do was if you get pregnant, you had to publicly inform the congregation or apologize. I mean, I, I, I didn't apologize, but I had to publicly, um, you know, tell them this had happened to me. And mm. I remember when did that um many persons were saying you shouldn't and you know and but i did it because it was i felt like it was a church rule and if i was going to school and school had a rule i would have listened to the, the, the school rules so why shouldn't i listen to the, the church rule and i did it and i think this is where my life changed or i started to see things the per, people in church they did not judge me i felt so loved it's 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 crazy how loved i felt um and they just kind of just supported me on the journey of being pregnant and i remember just the pastor and his wife they were just always there to pray for me they were just always there to encourage me when crystal my daughter was born you know like she just became a, a, a child of the church you know and I mean, I, I saw a different side of Christianity that I've never seen, which was not just talk about love, but I experienced love on a different level within that church. And again, I, I was I got engaged, looked after that to get married because I'm okay, you know, I'm I, I, I want I need to get married in order for me to have sex and I was praying about it and the person apparently wasn't God's best for me. And then I just fell on my knees one day and like Lord again. I need to know why I'm here, why was I born, why I need to know. And I don't know, somewhere, I can't say a date, but I knew that I just had this passion and this burning desire to, to, to not just tell people about, because I, I used to do workshop in the community. So from pro, about 2009, I used to do workshop in the community with the girls in my community, just to help them with, you know, esteem and confidence and things like that. But I had this passion. I just know that God gave me this passion for not just tell them about confidence, but tell them about Christ. Because I realized that everything that we are taught in the culture was a lie. They tell you that when you get the house and you get the car and get the, 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 the subjects and you get the degree and you get that you would be fulfilled. And I never felt fulfilled and I had it. I had a daughter. I had the, the home. I had I never felt fulfilled. But what what when I when God started to give me this passion for people and pray for people and just share my story, that's when I started to feel fulfilled. That's who, that's how I felt alive. Just sharing my story, letting people know that God, like this God thing is not a joke thing. It's real. And, and that's what I, I, I can't tell you a date. I just knew that it took me from a journey of, it just took me on a journey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, giving your life to Christ is a journey. One that, well, you're still on and so am I. So yeah, I totally <laughs> understand that. Yes. And that leads me to the question about asking about how your book, Living a Royal Reality, Discovering Your Identity, Purpose, and Worth in Christ, was birthed. So you submitted yourself to God and to, and to Jesus. Uh, what does this book represent for you, and what did you write in it? You know, to be honest, it's just obedience. I never... I can't say, I remember I gave my desires to God. I had no, when I got saved, I really had no dreams anymore. I felt like I never have any dreams anymore. Um, I just wanted his dreams. And 
first it started, he birthed this, um, I was at a retreat and as I said, I used to do workshops in the community and I had stopped after I got pregnant because I felt like I failed these girls. Um, I felt like I failed them by getting pregnant as a Christian and I just stopped doing the workshops and stuff. And I remember I was at a retreat and seeking God on my purpose and he says, you're going to start doing the workshops again. And that birth, she's royal ministry, our movement. And from that movement, I started to host events. And from that events, the Lord placed it on my heart to start blogging. Now, my blog started as, it wasn't the average Christian blog, like telling you, you know, get saved. Like, I was just reeling this blog. I was just telling people, listen, you know, like when my, like, I was just telling people I had two, three, four boyfriends. And people would look like, oh my God, she's a Christian. And she said that, you know, but I just never cared because, word of God told me that, you know, Crystal have died and, you know, it's Christ that lives through me. The second Corinthians five seventeen told me I'm a new creation. All old things have passed away. So I don't care if you want to judge me on my past. Mm. Um, hello. And that's, uh, that, that blog, um, just turned into a book, you know, and the book just turned into, I mean, speaking engagement. I mean, people were just, I was just always just posting testimonies on Facebook. I was just posting as I felt led and I was just getting called for speaking engagement. I was like, what's happening? Like literally I didn't know what was happening to me. I just know that people just started to have me on social media, start to get um, interviews, you know, people want to know my story. And I'm like, listen, I'm just a girl from the ghetto that just wanted to, to, to just you know, move out of the ghetto. Like, I'm not that special. But apparently, the realness and the passion, it just um, caught people. And, yeah, it's that, that's just it. And in the book, I just shared this journey. I took people on a journey of what it means to find your worth, what it means to find a purpose. And it's not, like, it's not a book about me. Probably only the first chapter, I gave people a background of who I am. Um, the book is really, how do you find that? And I tell you, like, when I released this book, I mean, I've gotten emails from people all over the world. Like, I don't know how people know about this book. I, I'm not like, I'm not like a Sarah Jakes where, you know, she has a platform or whatever. I literally was a nobody. <laughs> and it's like, God just opened this door, this crazy door. And yeah, and I'm here right now. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. That is awesome. Uh and the fact that you you wrote this book and you were like you said you were being obedient to God and it just led you to pour all of this out of you and the attention that it's receiving it's it's wonderful and you know, praise be to God on that for sure. Mm-hmm. Now you said something that I loved hearing going back to when you uh, told your church family that you were pregnant outside of wedlock and you said the community was welcoming to you now normally we always hear the opposite when someone uh, is in that same situation normally we hear stories of condemnation well you know i was you know i was pregnant out of wedlock and and the church didn't want to have anything to do with me so they shunned me it's interesting to hear the opposite it is interesting to hear that no the church actually welcomed me and actually they they poured so much love into me that it it led me to Christ right then and there. So how important in your estimation is 
a church family to you in your business, your life, and just in overall the everyday life of one crystal day? Um, you know, one, and it's funny that you said that because there are other church persons, other girls in the church that have gotten pregnant and that have strayed from God. And mainly because most of them refused at my church at the time. They ref- they said they weren't going to do the apology. They weren't going to do the public, um, you know, the thing to tell people in public what happened. And for me, when I spoke to my pastor, I asked him, you know, why it's so special for me to do. And he said, um, he, he said to me, you know, Crystal, if you you are you feel like you did something wrong and you are no man enough or are courageous enough to admit that you did something wrong, then that's how you are now able. People can really know that you are real and you are now willing to take the step to reconcile that relationship with God. Mm. And for me at the time, I think I had this I tell people that I wasn't gonna go back into the world. I'm sorry. I I wasn't gonna I chose to not like make a pregnant, or even if the church didn't put me out, then could have put me out because I'm going to sit on a church every day because me need Jesus when I need a church. And I think that's a problem with many Christians. We focus so much on we need the approval of a pastor, we need the approval of people. Mm-hmm. But no, you really need approval of Christ and to seek Him. And I think that's what people saw. They saw that. I was genuinely seeking after God. I didn't know how to, st- I, must, I must admit initially, I never know how to stop partying. I never know how to stop fornicating. You know, yes, I was praying, I was fasting, but that wasn't enough. But what I had was a genuine desire to seek after God and to please God. And for me, I, and because, I think because it, people saw that, or the church saw that, you know, they were not able to, you know, there were women that were willing to walk with me. They didn't understand my journey, but they were just willing to walk with me. They were just willing to walk with me. And too many people walk away from church because they think that, okay, you know, God don't love me because the church don't. No, it's not God don't love you because the church treats you bad. God loves you. But many times you don't, I mean, we can't love God enough, but you have to try. And that's the thing, like, we just have to try. And that for me, you no, know, a church family for me is super important. Um, but a lot of times, and I had a, I have a pastor you now that says, a lot of times people will come to church and say, but the church, I'm sick, but the church don't call, nobody from the church will call me. And the pastor will say, but nobody from the church will know you. Because we go to church, and we sit down at the back, and then a service over, you run, go home. Mm. No, I didn't do that. Like, I, I wanted to talk to, like, if there's somebody that can pray well, she'll be my friend because we need to have a prayer for me. You know, I was on the altar all the time because I was like, listen, I need, I need prayer. I need Jesus, you know. Uh, and I think it's a pride thing until we are able to realize how much we need God and need his direction. Then really and truly, you won't see, you won't see the, the, the importance of having a church family. Yeah, I, I love hearing a church rallying for somebody and just pouring love into them. I love hearing that because I really believe and that is what we're supposed to be as Christians. That's exactly what we're supposed to be. I wanted to point out, though, you know, because when I share about my church, a lot of people instantly start to message me in Jamaica, like, oh, my God, which church you attend? Can I come to that church? And I would tell people it's not so much the church. 
and it's not just about coming to the church that you think that because Christos says it, it's it's a good church. That means because you have to seek the Lord on where he wants you to go because there are many churches like that. Or sometimes God wants to use us as that light in that church because I'm no longer a member of that church because the Lord led me to serve somewhere else, right? No, it's not so much. Is Am I taking too many people going to church expecting to get when I went to church, I never, I, I initially, I never get involved with anything. But after I rededicated my life to the Lord, I'm, I mean, I was just, I started the She's Ohio ministry. I started a single, I started a singles ministry at church. I started to, because it wasn't just about me just going to get, get, get. But I had gifts, I had passions, and I wanted to serve. And so keep, they should keep that in mind too. Oh yeah, and that's important. The serving part is important because that's really what we are. <laughs> We're servants. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To, to try to just get or receive. Well, I mean, there is a, there's a scripture that says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So there you are. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you, as you have demonstrated all throughout this episode, have a gift of gab. So how did you become at one with being a public speaker? Um, I can just simply say it was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when I was gradu- uh, when I was graduating from high school, they nominated me to be salutatorian, but I said no because I never felt like I could speak. I felt like um, because i from the inner city, I can't speak proper English. I... I, I was afraid to do public speaking. Even when I was doing workshops, I would always invite other speakers. I would never speak. Um, what got me into really believing that God has called me to speak is really him. Like he just said, this is what I've called you to do. And I've seen the lives being impacted, you know, from me speaking. And yeah, my love, like I would just talk your ears off. But at the end of the day, um, it's not so much about me just sharing, but also me listening and me just being passionate about doing God's will. Isn't it funny that and I've heard you're not the first person that does public speaking uh, for a lifestyle. I, won't, I don't like to say for a living. Uh, public speaking for a lifestyle that has said, you know, what's the most one of the most important things about speaking? Listening. And you would think that that's, that seems so antithetical to speaking because your mouth is shut. But the thing is, you're, you're in taking in information so as to what to put forth out there to your audience or, in your case, audience slash congregation. Because it is a time where you are supposed to speak and then there's times you're supposed to listen to. So... Yeah, kudos to you for actually saying, yeah, listening is a very important part of speaking. And and the fact that you you came from the inner city, well, uh, well, I, I guess it, it doesn't show because God washed that out and washed that clean too <laughs> with your speech because I can't tell. I, I really can't. Uh, oh, wow. Thank you oh. for saying that. <laughs> oh, no problem. No problem. So you said earlier in this conversation that you have a heart for focusing or refocusing Christian entrepreneurs. Well, since I fall into that category, that definitely got my antennas raising. So 
What is it about a Christian entrepreneur that you love to one, hear about, and then two, want to focus or refocus if they were to come to you and say, you know, Crystal, the business that I have, I have this purpose in my heart, but I don't know if I'm following God's heart in doing it. So what is it about that that is so passionate for you? Um, all right. It's funny. Again, my, my main passions have always been girls, women, um, especially teenage girls and stuff. And I believe that's a ministry. But when I was seeking God in terms of a business, um, when I started my life coaching business, I realized that as a coach, you know, there's not many coaches in Jamaica. So that was a big challenge one. So everything I learned about coaching was online and through Americans. Um, but I, I, and anything I knew about entrepreneurship, I learned from um, Americans. You know, I come up for conferences and stuff. But one of the things that have always bothered me as I started the entrepreneurial journey is that there's just too many new age new age um too much talk of the universe um i felt like if i needed to in order for me to be an effective entrepreneur um i couldn't talk about i couldn't be as passionate about christ as i could and that was a problem for me um only because i for me personally my life is my life is christ um and i never know how to differentiate you know i felt like i had to differentiate my my business from my ministry from my calling and it just was too much and i've met a few persons you know a, a podcast called kingdom entrepreneur you know christian Chris, church for entrepreneurs um i started listening to that podcast and i've there's another one kingdom driven entrepreneurs and all of these are overseas and I'm like okay wow it is possible for me to lead a lead a business that is without compromising my faith and i believe that god has placed that in my heart to say that I can help person. I felt guilty like charging people <laughs> um, because, because I was a minister for, for, for a minister. People seemed like they wanted everything that I do for free. You know, it was cool to do it for free when I was working my good job. But then when the Lord says January 20th, 2017, Crystal, you no longer have that job. You are doing this full time. And you can't, you realize that I had to, no, I have car loans to pay, I have mortgage to pay, I have crystal school fee to pay, and I'm doing everything for free. Something something not work, you know. Mm. And I realized that was a challenge for me. And if it's a, it was a challenge for me, that's a challenge for many other Christians. And that's not what has birthed this new passion of helping. I, I'm very good at ideas. I'm very good at coaching, life coaching. I'm very good at hearing what branding and I love branding. I love helping persons to build their platforms, but how can I monetize it? One and two, how can I teach other entrepreneurs, Christian entrepreneurs that you can do it and you don't have to compromise their faith. You can build a business God's way and it is very profitable. And that is my new vision for my business. And you might be my new hero because of that. (laughs) That is awesome. That's serious. And I want to just plug in right now. I mean, revelations, this podcast, I don't know what your reach is right now, but this podcast that we are able to share my story. Now, normally sometimes when I go on some podcasts, you know, like you have allowed me to just share my heart. Mm -hmm. This is what more Christians need. We need platforms like this to just share our heart. Yes. 100%. 
100%. And I know this isn't, thank you. I appreciate that. And I know this isn't about me per se, but uh, when I created this platform, I listened to many different shows uh, over the course of time. And one of the biggest motivating factors was, wow, Christians need to have a platform where they can literally be themselves, where it's a safe space for them to be who they are in Christ. And it was, and I didn't realize it until I think I started the vehicle that this was created for people like you. And, and, and I can give you many, many referrals. (laughs) I know so many Christians that would love to be on this. Oh, just please. Thank you. Please. Uh, Whomever you, whoever you come in contact with. I I tell you like this can be, I I know so many people right now that I, I can give that has powerful stories that will, that will help. Yeah. Good. Good, good, good. Wow, I appreciate that. I totally appreciate that. I have a, I think probably one of the easiest questions that I could ever ask you <laughs> coming up. Uh, so in the midst of you being this powerful entrepreneur, uh, this powerful motivational speaker, and all of that, of course, tied to your identity in Christ, how is being a or how has being a single mother impacted you in all of this journey? <laughs> that's a, that's a, um, a single motherhood. Um, single motherhood. <laughs> I'm going to take the opportunity first to tell, I mean, I thought, and this is how I tell you the culture and our society tricked us because a lot of times we glorify single motherhood to make it seem that, you know, it's something for us to strive for. So honestly, I, I've never, before I really experienced a relationship with Christ, I never wanted to get married. I wanted a child. I wanted a car. I wanted a career. I never want, and I wanted a man to have sex with, but I never wanted a child. I never wanted to get married. I never I felt like marriage was something, you know, a man, I got to tell me for wash, cook and clean for him. And no, I, I ain't about that life. And um, so one, because I had the wrong mindset when I became a, I, I felt like single mother would, would, would have made me this hero until I became a single mother. I realized, oh, I robbed my daughter of the opportunity of my, I have my father with me. Yeah, my parents, I'm not married, but my father has been an integral role. But no, she doesn't have her father with her. And I robbed her from that experience because of my, my own selfishness, one, um, and the role that a father played in in a woman's and a and a woman work because my father believed in my dreams. This is one of one of the reasons why I yeah my mommy believe I'm a love my mommy. But something about making my daddy proud, something about that just is is a blessing. Um, single motherhood. I know I have so many friends that are accomplished. And they believe that having a child is going to fill that void, and I tell them it's not going to fill a void. Crystal, don't fill a void. What Crystal is is a ministry for me. So she belongs to God. She's not mine, and God has given me um, know to try to teach her the right way and and not to be caught up in what the the, the society thinks. So many times it gets hard. You trying to do this all on your own, it gets hard because it wasn't God's plan, right? So 
No, I mean, I give God thanks. I have the most amazing family. Like, Crystal, we're on holiday in Jamaica now, and I don't have my daughter because one of our godmothers have her. So God has given me an amazing community, but not everybody have that. So I wouldn't, I, if I'm taking the opportunity right now to tell a Christian woman, like, don't believe a child will fill that void. If God don't fill the void, then you, it means you need more of God, right? Because a child is not... Is, 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 is a ministry, somebody you serve. I serve her, I put her first. In everything that I do, it is about her first, not my dreams and my plans, it's about her. And I think our society missed that. And in churches, we don't talk about it. Sex uh, marriage is not just about having a child, but it's serving people. Oh my gosh, you have blown me away with that answer. Uh, because... Uh, <laughs> I personally believe that the dynamic you just set up is extremely prevalent in the secular world. The, the, the fact that the quote independent woman close quote seems to be such a domineering factor in how we live, move and have our being is it's, it's getting ridiculous. So it's amazing to hear from a woman, those very words that no, let's shatter that because it, no life isn't about that. And, and and I cannot thank you enough for that answer. Wow, that that was powerful. Thanks, God. Thank you. That was powerful. That is so good. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Crystal, I could continue to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> this has been enlightening and interesting, and food for my soul and spirit. It really is. Uh, but I know that you're a busy woman. You have to go. However, <laughs> before yeah. you do go, I always ask these questions on my first time guests. And I probably have to bring you back another time because this has been interesting. Uh, <laughs> what what has been either your biggest regret or your biggest lesson learned that you ever experienced in your life? Um, honestly, I think I would say my biggest regret. Um, yeah, all right. I I think my biggest regret was not is. Would I put it without I? Is I don't believe my child having a, a child out of wedlock is a regret because Crystal is the most important blessing. But I I wish that I knew about God's plan for marriage and the importance of marriage and having a you know a relationship before I got a child. Um, honestly, I, I wish I I I I, I would have. I would have wished that I, I, I could have changed that because I really wish that Crystal had a, a father, um, you know, that is really important, that, that is playing an important role in our life. Um, and if I could have do it all, all over again, I'd have her all over again. I'd just have her in yeah. how God would want me to have her in our marriage. And um, I think overall my biggest lesson is I tell people all the time that everything that society tells you is a lie. It's a lie. It's a facade. And many women are in churches hiding behind, you know, our our insecurities and our all of these so-called, you know, um, qualifications and accolades. And it's all a deception because everything we need is found in Jesus Christ. And that is my that that I will definitely be my biggest lesson that I don't need anything outside of God because in God He has given me everything. Mm. Wow. Powerful, powerful stuff. 
Wow. And needed and stuff needed to be heard along with it being powerful. And I agree. And I agree with you. you your daughter definitely is not a regret. I can, I could totally, I could totally, totally say that from here. And I just barely know you now. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is a home run question here. So outside of saying that you have given your life to Christ, flipping the coin, what has been your biggest accomplishment in life? Um, just being able to impact women. Um, to be like, before, if you had asked me this question, I would have been graduating from high school, a top girl. But, um, and that's always been my amazing accomplishment. But right now, I would definitely say just the ability to just share my story and impact lives. I mean, I've seen so many women have gotten a breakthrough because I've shared, I've got the courage to share my story and they have gotten their breakthroughs for that. And I don't think there's anything in my life right now I could say I'm more happy about. Mm. Yeah, seeing God move in people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah how, how, like, use me as a vessel. Like, yeah. wow, this girl from the inner city. Like, mm-hmm. this girl that slept on the ground. This right. girl that didn't have any lunch money. Like, lives are being impacted. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Seeing God, seeing God move in other people's lives. And yeah, like you said, being the vessel to have God be moved in other people's lives. Mind blowing. So I could totally get yeah. how that would be like, wow, God, really? Me? Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That. Mm. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I, yeah. That's how I feel all the time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But I stutter. But I have sex with many different women. Uh, but yeah, I can keep going. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the time of the show where I lay out and give my guest the floor. So I roll out the red carpet to you. I cede the floor to you. Whatever's in your heart spirit or thoughts the floor is yours okay i mean i i really think i've said everything that i needed to say um personally i just i just want to firstly just take the opportunity to thank you mr johnson um for answering the call of god on your life for doing this um it probably seemed little to you right now but I can tell you, as I said, I've done many interviews and sometimes it's, try, it's, it's refreshing to be able to just freely talk about God and just talk about your story. Um, so I thank you for your obedience and giving me this opportunity. And I really just would want to say to everybody that, you know, like that those big dreams that you have, they're not too far-fetched. They're really not too far-fetched. And just... Once you have given God those dreams, He will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can imagine. Look at me, I'm a two. I'm from Jamaica and I've gotten two Amazon bestseller. A young girl in Jamaica, like, I don't know any other Jamaicans that have done that. Like, it means that, and it's not me, it's God. You know, I've heard persons birth their books. Um, you know, I have blogs. I'm, it's just crazy all the things that God is able to do once you just give Him. Just give him those dreams. Have those big dreams. Give it, give it to him, and he will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can imagine. And that's just my encouragement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that he could ever ask or think, according to the power that dwells within him. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Yes, and definitely the power that dwells within you is the Holy Spirit. It swims not just in you. But it swims about you, and 
It has been an absolute joy, privilege, and pleasure to share this platform with you and have you on it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. It's, it's more my pleasure. Oh. And I'm looking forward to sending you the names of the other persons. And believe me, you yeah, continue doing. I do continue doing what you're doing. Oh, yes. And definitely continue to do what you're doing. Uh, right. <laughs> an entrepreneur, an author motivational speaker and the COO of Daylight International, but most importantly, a Christian and a wonderful woman and a powerful woman at that, Miss Crystal Day. Crystal, thank you for being on Revelations. All right. God bless you. have we've heard that there is power in your story how many times have we heard that you can be whatever your current circumstances are or you can strive to be something better and greater when i had this conversation with crystal that was the vibe i got that sometimes what we think of ourselves is not quite as lofty as what god thinks of us to be and that we should strive to think so lofty of ourselves as god does not as an arrogant thing, but basically as a fulfillment of a promise thing. The word says what you meant for bad, God means for good, the saving of others lives. So when I see Krista, I don't see a promiscuous woman. I see a woman full of promise, one that she has achieved some of in one and one in which she hasn't even stressed the surface of what she can achieve. And when we see the total fulfillment of it, we will be awed. I think just like God would be. Many thanks to Crystal for her time and her treasure in her story. And Revelations will pray that she reaches other women and shows them that you can go from promiscuity to promise. For changing the world one conversation at a time. I'm Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more on Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A, dot I-O. Music by Lakey Inspired.